big fan of the Financial Times. It being a more purely finance and economics-focused publication, the news and editorial tend to be far more relevant to my chosen profession. That it's further a British publication is nice in a few more ways. The focus is on the globe, not just the states, which is supportive of an investment approach that sees opportunity beyond our borders. Among its best features, though, is the comments section accompanying most articles. Discussions there tend toward the more entertaining, while still generally being intelligent reads that are additive to the paper's superb journalism. And more importantly, they often expand our conceptualizations of the many unsettled investment-related themes that rise and fall in relevance over time. Great example are recent threads regarding the outlook for inflation as a consequence of the current alignment of global monetary policies in search of more of it. Thoughts on the matter are wide-ranging. On one side, we have the belief that present efforts will be as unsuccessful as those of the past in fostering durable inflation around the broadly understood to be Goldilocks value of 2% per year. And on the other, there are the warnings to, watch out, here comes the hyperinflation, that are accompanied by hunker down and wait for the apocalypse positioning. Leaving aside the potential for hyperinflation, which, in most views anyway, remains at the very edge of plausibility, we still have a wide debate regarding whether the U.S. Federal Reserve or the European Central Bank will be able to achieve that 2% per year target. Compounding the complexity of the review, the two banks, at the present at least, are approaching the idea with different end goals in mind. While the ECB still seems intent on maintaining inflation at 2%, the Fed will be seeking to go above 2% in efforts to make up for lost time. Actually, the 2% target has mostly been on the books for central banks for some time now, so that's not changed. Neither is the idea that the target has proved pretty difficult to hit. Let's not forget that the Bank of Japan has been trying for decades to hit its inflation goals with little in the way of success. What's changed since the COVID crisis is the extent to which monetary policy is no longer the only game in town. Despite the Federal Reserve's long having called for the additive support, U.S. fiscal policy is now more directly aligned with monetary policy than it has been for decades, and in a very grandiose way. Even the European Commission is more open to direct fiscal support for the economy of the EU. The concern, though, is that, in the U.S. in particular, there's now too much fiscal support, that all the monies being shipped from Washington into the hands of citizens and corporations alike will quickly result in too much inflation. And as we noted last month, there's evidence already of reasonably extreme upward pricing pressures. Much of the recent rise can be attributed to the rebound from generally stagnant and some arenas falling prices since the pandemic began, but not all. Other pressures can be seen as structural, related partially or mostly to supply chain pressures resulting in less inventory than buyers seek for particular types of goods. So the question boils down to, how long will such upward pressures last? And that brings us back to the comment section of the Financial Times. The upshot is, no one knows for sure, but there are many who have strong convictions on the matter. Indeed, the Federal Reserve seems quite confident that the excess pressures will abate, but that the pressures it's created will prove durable and successful. The good news is that the Fed at least has evidence that it has the power to dampen inflation, even of the egregious sort, if need be. The consequence might be some manner of recession, but in this case, that recession might well end up being payback for prior growth having been a bit too robust. During the earlier part of the 1980s, the Federal Reserve sought to quell the then still rampant inflation wrought in the decade prior. That inflation was attributed to a range of factors, though the Federal Reserve candidly places the primary drivers on its own failures. 
Radical shifts in monetary policy, set against broadly uncertain macroeconomic times, caused bond markets to wildly fluctuate. Despite the eventually apparent success of subsequent policies, there is nonetheless a cautionary take on the history. Were it not for a misunderstanding of the mechanics of global and domestic capital markets and macroeconomic activity, monetary policies might have been more effective. That is, the Fed seems to have gotten things wrong before it set things right. So how do we know that the Fed's present efforts are correct and sufficient? Only time will tell, but we trust that their minds are right about the influence of the levers they control. Seems they believe so, at least, with few hints of concern having escaped the gravity of the Fed's well of confidence. Contrast that basically united front with beliefs regarding appropriate fiscal policy. Opinions on fiscal policy and the efforts they envision tend to have what could be seen as fundamentally academic underpinnings. But those foundations tend also to be widely diverse and often prove particularly fertile grounds for theoretical disagreement. Regardless of the defensibilities of those foundations, these more academic ideas are in turn bent to political will. Even so, there's at least a healthy debate on these subjects, even if that debate often goes nowhere as each side heads to the extremes. Monetary policy, on the other hand, seems set on a course of nearly unanimous more of the same with relevant debate if there is any, hidden from view behind the Fed's walls. While we forever gather more evidence of the effects of monetary policy initiatives, the interpretation of that history must surely be seen as more art than science. There always will be an error in the evaluation of our past work, just as there always will be errors in our estimates of the future results of our present actions. Humility, therefore, must temper our current convictions. It just doesn't seem to me that the Federal Reserve maintains the sort of humility that I might otherwise think the present situation demands. But I know there's a reason for the appearance of certainty. As one might probably guess from the enormous range of credible opinions on the matter, setting monetary policy involves no small amount of complicated thinking, speaking, and acting. Were the Fed to have full disclosure debates about these complications, it might leave itself open to being seen as uncertain in its effort, thereby reducing its credibility. And much of the power of the Federal Reserve comes from that credibility. Folks will expect 2% inflation because the Fed says that's its target, and they believe that, at some point, the Fed will achieve it. And if not 2% exactly, well, then between 1% and 2% seems just about fine anyway. So I get the need for a united front, even as I, like so many others, still wonder what the eventual outcomes will be. Nonetheless, I sure hope that the Federal Reserve is right, that inflation will prove both tame and durable, at least after we've ironed out all the COVID-induced kinks, that its efforts to provide cheap credit and force investors out the risk spectrum will produce meaningful macroeconomic growth, healthy levels of employment, and reasonable price stability that its efforts are complemented in sufficient and reasonable ways by fiscal plans developed by the executive branch in Congress, and that it retains keen eyes on those data that matter most when it comes to measuring the success of its actions, with levers primed to dampen those directives if they ultimately prove too successful in those goals. These remain tall asks, for sure. And with the outcomes still so uncertain, we continue to believe that any eventual faults of investment decisions made now ultimately will be proved with hindsight the result of surety with regard to any individual outcome, especially one closer to the extremes. 
So we will continue to allow our investment decisions to be guided by the notion that maintaining flexibility to the investment environment as it evolves is an approach far more reasonable and ultimately more successful than one that assumes a narrow set of future circumstances and overconfidently positions portfolios to those expectations, regardless of the fact that the always unknowable future can turn out widely different than we ever might have expected. Importantly, past performance is not indicative of future results. The foregoing commentary is not presented as an investment recommendation. The approach described may not be right for everyone. No one listening to this commentary should take our comments as advice specific to or appropriate for their individual situations. Individual circumstances should be taken into consideration when determining a suitable investment approach. All investing carries risk.